This morning we look at Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through verse 13. Philippians 4, verse 10, listen now to the reading of God's holy word. But I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again. Though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Let's seek the Lord's blessing on this, His Word. O gracious God in heaven, we rejoice and give thanks for your truth, for the revelation of your word to us, that you have not left us to stumble around in the dark as to who we are and who you are and what your plan and desire is of us, as you are our creator and we are your creature. But you have revealed yourself in these things in your word. As we come to this particular passage this morning, we pray that we would find the truth that is here, that your Spirit would apply it to our hearts and to our lives, giving us understanding and insight, and that truly as your Word goes forth, in the power of the Spirit, that it would find within each of our hearts that rich, fertile soil that will bear great and abundant fruit for your glory. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Well, it disrupts relationships and marriages. Politicians try to manipulate it in order to win elections. And marketing and advertising executives count on it to make millions of dollars by using words like bigger, better, new and improved, upgrade now, and you deserve the best. What is it that all these have in common? Well, it's a pervasive lack of contentment. Not only that's present in our culture and our society out there, but especially in here in our own hearts. Indeed, as those born in sin, we have a natural inclination toward not being happy or content with what we have, right? The grass is always greener on the other side of the fence, and if we could only have more, or if we could only have something better or faster or bigger, or even if we could just have the latest and greatest, well, then we would be happy. Then we would be content. But as we well know, this never works out. Because once we might attain one of those things, it's not much longer before something even better comes along, and then suddenly we want that. And so a lack of contentment isn't only the plague of a consumerist culture, it is a condition of our sinful hearts. Well, in our passage this morning, the Apostle Paul returns to... One of the purposes for which he's writing this letter to the Philippians, and that is to thank them for this gift which they have sent to him. A gift that Paul didn't seek or even need, but one for which he was truly thankful. 
But as Paul thanks them for this gift, he then uses this opportunity to teach them yet another critical lesson about what it means to live as citizens of the gospel of Christ. Friends, as long as you seek satisfaction, happiness, and contentment in other people, in things, in circumstances, in your wealth or possessions, as long as you continue that, you're going to continue to be disappointed and be discontent. But it's only in Christ alone that you will find full and complete satisfaction. This is the secret of contentment that we discover here. But as we see in verse 10, this secret doesn't discount the great blessing and joy that a gift can bring, even if it's a gift that's not needed. In verse 10, Paul says, But I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again, though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Now, some might read this verse and wonder whether Paul is actually thanking the Philippians or he's kind of got a, a subtle, underhanded rebuke. Because now at last your care for me has flourished again can easily sound like Well, finally, finally, you're showing some concern. But that isn't Paul's tone at all, as he clearly acknowledges that they've always been concerned about him. In fact, in verse 16, Paul is going to acknowledge that this isn't the first gift that the Philippians have sent him. Even shortly after he planted the church in Philippi, and he left uh, and went on, uh, to do uh, mission work, I think in Thessalonica was perhaps the next city he went. Well, the people were active from Philippi. They were active in supporting his ministry. And even while he was there, he, they sent him gifts. He had already left Philippi, but they continued to support him. And so it wasn't that they weren't concerned, but that for whatever reason, they didn't have the opportunity as they did in the past. Now, it's possible that, that the Philippians had wanted to send a gift before, but uh, after hearing Paul had been arrested, maybe they didn't know where he was being held. Or maybe there was just no reliable messenger to deliver the gift until Epaphroditus was sent along with it. And so they had a concern, they always had a concern, and now finally, they had the opportunity to show that concern for Paul once again in a very real and a very concrete and practical way by sending a gift of support. And not just a a gift, which may have been a monetary gift or provisions or supplies, but also they sent the gift of Epaphroditus to aid and support and encourage Paul in the ministry. Well, it's for this reason that Paul says that their concern has flourished again, or literally blossomed and come into its fullness. And there are two good reasons Paul says for has for saying this. First, because he knows the sacrifice that the Philippians made in even sending this gift. Right, the Philippians. As Paul has alluded to and addressed, they've been facing persecution and, and suffering, and many challenges are bearing down upon them, and yet they demonstrate their blossoming faith that despite all what's going on, what they're enduring, they're still thinking about Paul, and they send this gift to him. 
And then secondly, it was truly a gift. Right? Paul didn't require this of them. In fact, he implies that he didn't even really need it. As he says in verse 11, not that I speak in regard to need. And yet, they send the gift anyway to bless Paul and to bless the furtherance of the gospel and his ministry. And so Paul is here diligently seeking to guard against any notion that he was somehow compelling the Philippians to give for his own selfish gain. And we'll consider this more, Lord willing, in a couple of weeks. But, but Paul is simply trying to relay to them that though he personally didn't need their gift, he certainly could have gotten by without it. Yet he certainly appreciates it and he commends them for their generosity and their thoughtfulness. And for this, Paul rejoiced in the Lord greatly. Now these words are, are significant. For even though it was the Philippians who freely gave this gift, thus revealing their deep concern for Paul, yet Paul acknowledges that ultimately it was the Lord working in and through the Philippians that led to their giving of this gift. Right? Paul understood clearly, as James reminds us, that every good and perfect gift come down uh, to, uh, from the, the Father of lights from whom there, with whom there is no variation or uh, turning of shadow. Right? Every gift comes from God. And this gift of the Philippians was God's provision for Paul. Now this doesn't take away from the, the generous act on the part of the Philippians, uh, not at all. In fact, when Paul writes to the church in Corinth... He boasts to them, he boasts to the Corinthians about the generosity of the Philippians and how they have sacrificially supported him throughout his ministry. But Paul wants to be sure here that God receives the glory. He's thanking the Philippians and he appreciates them, but even in that he wants God to receive the glory. Again, as he's noted before, because it's clear because they sent this gift, it's clear and evident that the Spirit of Christ is truly at work in the midst of these Philippian believers. This is one of the evidences of it. They're being generous, and they're thinking of Paul, and not of themselves in the time when they're enduring great uh, affliction and persecution. But the other significance of Paul rejoicing in the Lord greatly is that he acknowledges that whether the, this gift came from the Philippians or from someone else, or whether it even came at all, he still had reason to rejoice. You see, because he was fully and completely content with whatever it was that God had provided for him. Now this is ultimately behind his comment in verse 11. Not that I speak in regard to need. Now, consider where Paul, where the situation Paul is in right now. Right? He's in a, in a prison in Rome. It's not exactly the most pleasant of places. And certainly, there were many material things that he lacked, not to mention his freedom. But he wasn't desperate. He wasn't begging for something more. He wasn't sending out letters soliciting funds to make his life more comfortable. No, he was simply content, knowing full well that God would provide for him so that God's plan and purpose for him would truly be accomplished. He didn't count on anyone other than the Lord to support and sustain him. 
And so when this generous gift from the Philippians came in, Paul was thankful. He rejoiced. And he gave glory to God. And this is the basic essence of the contentment that Paul challenges the Philippians, and even us today, to consider as citizens of the gospel, as he now further elaborates in verse 11 and 12. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Now we're going to consider these verses by answering a couple of questions. What, when, and how? First is the what question. What does Paul mean when he says that he's content? Well, a very basic meaning of being content is being satisfied with what you have or where you are in life. It's a general sense of having all that you truly need without any great desire to have anything else. Now this may seem like apathy, but it's not. Apathy is is when you just don't care. When you don't care what you have or, or you don't care what you don't have because you can't find satisfaction in anything. Being content, on the other hand, is actually having a sense of satisfaction or, or being full. right? Having a sense of fullness regardless of what you may or may not have. Can you see the difference? Apathy comes from de- being dependent on your outward circumstances and realizing that regardless of what those circumstances are, you're not going to be filled. And so you just give up and you don't care anymore and it's a very empty feeling. And you're miserable. Right? Apathy, apathetic people are miserable people. But contentment, contentment doesn't depend on outward circumstances at all. Contentment is having that sense of being filled, even though you may have nothing at all. In this way, we see that contentment gets, goes hand in hand with Paul's earlier charge to be anxious for nothing, regardless of your circumstances. You see, if you're anxious, well then you're not going to be content. But if you're not anxious, and if you relish in the peace of God that surpasses all understanding, well then you're also likely to be very content with what you have and with where God has you in life. Now, like the charge to be anxious for nothing... Being content isn't easy. As we noted before, we're naturally discontent because of the curse of our sin nature. In fact, discontentment played a, a key role in the fall of Adam and Eve in the garden uh, and, and their fall into sin. Remember, in the garden, God had, had placed them there and had given them everything. Right? Everything that they could possibly need or want, he, he placed them in this perfect, beautiful garden. All their needs were met and could have been met in that garden. But Satan, how did he tempt Eve? He got her to consider that there might be something more. That maybe God was withholding something from them. Maybe God was holding something that was even better than what he had already given them. And with that, the seed of discontent was sown. 
And Eve took of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and she ate. And then she gave to her husband uh, who was with her, and he ate also. And then all of humanity was then plunged into a state of sin and misery. Here we are, discontent and unsatisfied in our lives. And so overcoming this natural discontentment is not going to be easy. But it is possible. You see, at the root of contentment is ultimately faith and trust. Faith in that the fact that God, uh, that what God has given you is sufficient and is exactly what you need, right? We believe that this is what God has given us. This is what we need. But then it's also trusting, trusting God that if there is any lack, well, then He will certainly supply it. Right? And so contentment isn't swayed by these outward circumstances, things and, and possessions or people. Contentment is acknowledging that man doesn't live by bread alone and that a person's life doesn't consist of just his possessions. That's not our value. Is not in our value is not in our possessions. Our value is being made in the image of God and in our relationship with God. Contentment understands that outward stuff, possessions, wealth, fame, power, relationships, that these things ultimately will not and cannot satisfy. They come and go quickly in this life, and therefore they can bring no lasting satisfaction. And certainly, contentment doesn't mean that we simply just put on an outward appearance of satisfaction. We put a slap a smile on our face and pretend that we're content when we're actually not. No, contentment is a matter of the heart. And it's not just putting on a pretty face, but it's what's going on in your heart. It's an inner resolve and trust that no matter what the circumstances are, we know and we trust and we believe that we're in good hands, that we're even in God's hands, and that He is going to provide for us. That's contentment. Which then leads to the next question about contentment. When? When are we to be content? Well, Paul pulls no punches here and returns to, again, that all-inclusive kind of comprehensive language that he's used before. And he says, in whatever state I am. And if there's any doubt as to what he means by whatever state, he's more explicit in verse 12, saying everywhere and in all things. So there's no condition or situation that's left untouched. Paul doesn't leave any room for, well, what about this situation? Or, or what about that circumstance? So certainly there, there's got to be exceptions where I don't have to be content, right? No. Everywhere and in all things means everywhere and in all things. In every state, in every condition, in every circumstance imaginable, there's none that are excluded. Now, to further illustrate this, Paul makes a comparison between positive and negative extremes, or I should say negative and positive. There's a negative first. Uh, extreme circumstances that he himself has experienced. And so first, the negatives, that he's been abased, that he's been hungry, and he's suffering need. 
Now, being abased or brought low is, is getting along with humble means and surviving with barely anything. It can mean uh, refer to poverty and an insufficient income or just an inadequate living condition. Or it cannot be used to describe one's status. Maybe someone of, of low condition, an outcast. Someone at the bottom of the, the ladder, the, of the chain. A slave. A servant. Or a prisoner. Going hungry is simply going without food, right? Having bare cupboards and, and an empty, growling stomach. Suffering need goes even deeper, not just including food, but everything, as it describes not just being denied what you your wants and desires, that's hard enough, but even being denied basic needs, like food, clothing, shelter, and companionship. Certainly these are not pleasant circumstances. Now, are we really to be content in these situations? Be content with a growling stomach? To be content without proper food and shelter? To be content with just not having much and barely having two pennies to rub together? Well, this was certainly the example that Paul gave us. In 2 Corinthians uh, 11, Paul lists the extent of the troublesome circumstances in which he found himself. And there's a whole host of things here. Listen, uh, beginning verse 24, 2 Corinthians 11. From, from the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been in the deep. In journeys often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil and sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst and fastings often, in cold and nakedness, besides the other things. What comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. This is, these are all the circumstances in which Paul found himself. None of them are good. And yet this and yet through this Paul pressed on in contentment, knowing that God had his plan and his purpose in it all. That even in the midst of these hard and afflicting times, all things were being worked out for Paul's good and for God's glory. That's what Paul believed. That's what he trusted in because that's what God's promise was. Now this didn't mean that Paul enjoyed himself through all this or that he he stuffed his feelings or emotions about them. No, but he was still able to be content even as he is at this time, as he sits in a Roman prison. He was trusting that he was being held tightly in the hands of the Lord and that all he needed would be provided by God's gracious hand. That was the... He was content with that. But it wasn't just these negative circumstances in which Paul remained content. Even during positive circumstances, he was content with what God had provided him. Abounding in poverty uh, and prosperity. Being filled as opposed to being hungry. And having an abundance of provision. 
Now you might wonder, well, what's so hard about being content during those times? Well, truthfully, it's actually often much more difficult to be content during times of prosperity and abundance than when you have next to nothing. Right? Just, just look around us. Look around at our, at our nation and see all the, uh, the abundance of wealth that we enjoy as a nation, especially compared to other nations of the world. And yet the lack of contentment abounds beyond measure. Right? Often in the form of, of envy and greed. Right? The 99% want what the 1% has. And of course the 1%, well they want even more. So no one's content. Why is there so much discontent? Because they're seeking their happiness and their contentment in stuff. And stuff wears out. It gets old. It quickly fades away and doesn't satisfy continually. This is the trap of prosperity. Not being content with the abundance that you already have. So everywhere and in all things, in any and every situation, whether it's positive or negative, we're challenged to be content. But how? How do we attain such contentment? Note how Paul says here in verse 11, I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. You learn contentment. It isn't something you one day just decide to do and then uh, you wake up the next day and suddenly you're content with everything. It doesn't work that way. It must be learned. In part, it's learned by experience, by actually uh, living through lean times and prosperous times. And of course, the more you come to realize during either of those times how quickly stuff fades away and how short life is, well, then you would hope that you would at least learn something, that you would learn to be content with what you have and enjoy it for the very gift that it is. Whether it's your life, your possessions, your relationships, whatever it is. But learning contentment is more than that as well. Contentment is learned as you daily grow in grace and knowledge of God's truth, of His Word. Even as you challenge yourselves to daily put off the old ways of sin and to put on the new ways in Christ, challenge yourselves to be content and satisfied with what God has given to you. Daily put off the natural inclination to discontentment. And daily put your faith and your trust in God's perfect plan, knowing and believing that His plan is good and right for you, regardless of what happens in your lives and all around you. Learn daily to be led by the Spirit of Christ than being beaten and battered by changing circumstances. Learn to pursue that the, this peace of God that surpasses all understanding. So we have to learn this. Beloved of God, truly learning to be content in every and every and any circumstance goes even further than this. Note in verse 11 and 12, at least it is here in the New King James, the word learned is used. But in the Greek, there are actually two different words, right? And verse 11 is a different word than is used in verse 12. Verse 11 is maybe what you might consider the more traditional sense of learning through experience. 
But verse 12, the word used here has the sense of being more learning and being exposed to mysteries. Things that are not easily discovered. Or some translations have it, I have learned the secret. Learning something that's been secret and withheld. Paul has learned the secret or the mystery behind how to be content in any and every circumstances. And he reveals that secret in verse 13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The secret to contentment is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Now verse 13 course is one of those well-known verses that's often committed to memory and and it's quoted at various times especially when one faces great challenges but as with many well-known verses we have to be careful not to take the verse out of context and misuse it and this is one verse that is misused quite a bit Paul isn't saying here that through Christ he suddenly becomes some kind of superhero who can, who can do any and everything that he puts his mind to. Right? I'm going I'm to go out and I'm going to, uh, without previously preparing, I'm going to go run a marathon and I can do all things through Christ and strengthens me and I'll do it. No, that's not, that, that's how people use this. Some people might even use it to justify their sin. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But that's not what Paul is saying here. Remember the context we've been talking about. Paul is speaking of being content in both positive and negative circumstances, even very extreme circumstances. The reason that he can maintain this contentment and peace is because of Christ who gives him strength. Now certainly it's true that the Spirit of Christ gives us strength at times to, to press on and persevere through many things. Even enabling us to um, accomplish great and amazing things for His glory that we never thought we would accomplish. So it's true that through the strength of Christ we can do all things. Jesus even challenged His disciples if they had enough faith that they'd be able to move mountains. And so there's some general secondary application of this verse, but Paul's primary point to the Philippians and to us is that the key to his contentment is to be found in and through Christ. And I say in and through Christ because for some reason most translations of the Bible translate through him or through Christ, but the literal rendering is in him or in Christ. Through isn't necessarily wrong. Right? Christ is the one through whom we can do all things. But, but you see, in, in adds something that through doesn't. It adds the context. I can do all things in Christ. That is, those things which Christ would have me do. I can do everything that Christ wants me to do. This is not a, a call that I can, I can do anything that I want to do. Any kind of my selfish pursuits. But I can do anything in Christ. What He wants me to do. And serving Him. That's the context that's often missed when people refer to this verse. But in adds something else as well. It isn't just that we're strengthened through Christ, 
which enables us to do all things. But it's because we're actually in Christ that we have this blessing of strength. The strength of His Spirit dwelling in us to learn to be content in any and every situation. In fact, Paul may very well have in mind here the promise of the Lord that he made to his disciples in John 15 when he said, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Outside of Christ, we can do nothing to glorify and please him. But in Christ, abiding in Him and and He abiding in us, we can truly do all things by the grace and strength that He gives, including learning how to be content in every and all circumstance. There's no contentment, friends, to be found in stuff. There's no contentment to be found in our positions and our accomplishments. There's ultimately no contentment even to be found in our relationships with others. Because these two will be changed by time, by distance, and ultimately they'll be changed by death. No, the secret to contentment is to be found in Christ alone. He is to be our all in all. And this was the same as what Paul had said earlier back in chapter 1 verse 21 where he says, For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Right? Everything else around us is going to change. Everything else around us is going to fail us. Everything around us is going to disappoint us at one time or another. But full and complete satisfaction is found in Christ Jesus our Savior. Truly, everything we have, everything that we have that is going to last forever, is found in Christ alone. This was the secret of Paul's contentment. Now, beloved of God, this same source of strength that Paul enjoyed to be able to be content in every and in any and every circumstance is offered and given to you. It's given to you when you call upon the name of the Lord in faith. Friends, if contentment is is escaping you, then stop trusting in stuff. Stop trusting in your own works and in your own deeds. Stop looking for satisfaction in all the wrong places and from all the wrong people. Look to Jesus Christ. Look to the one who gave himself over to the painful and shameful death of the cross to pay for your sins. Look to the one who rose again in power and glory on the third day securing for us an eternal victory over Satan's sin and death. Look to him. For your complete and total satisfaction. Let Him fill the void in your life. Let Him be your all in all. And you will certainly, most certainly not be disappointed if you do. Now some may be thinking, Come on, Pastor. How does faith in Christ pay my bills? How does it heal my body? 
How does it mend my broken relationships? How does it change my circumstances, the very circumstances that I struggle with that I'm not happy about, that I'm not content in? Friends, it doesn't. It doesn't. Paul never said that his circumstances changed. He's still in prison. Right? He's writing this letter from a Roman prison, and in all respect, he's at the lowest of low points awaiting word about his death. It doesn't get much lower than that. Yet he's still content. Indeed, Jesus never promised that circumstances of this life are going to get easier for us. Right again, that's the that's the false gospel of the health and wealth preachers. No, Jesus promises if we're faithful to him, it's going to be just the opposite. Because we're going to have a huge target on our back and Satan is going to be firing his fiery darts at us, trying to bring us down. We're going to be assaulted and we're going to be scorned, we're going to be persecuted, we're going to endure all that Jesus endured. We should expect nothing more. But beloved, when you're in Christ, truly abiding Him by faith, and His Holy Spirit is abiding in you, you have the strength from Him and through Him to endure any and all circumstances with a contentment that only He can provide. Because He's eternal. It's there. It's there, ready for you to to tap into. You just have to learn to humble yourself and to fully and completely trust in Christ alone for your satisfaction and for your contentment and doing it both now and forever to the glory of God alone. Let's pray. O gracious God in heaven, we praise you and thank you for your word to us and this reminder that you are the eternal God. So why would we trust in anything else? Why would we look for hope and peace and contentment in anything else but you? And we praise you and thank you that you have revealed yourself to us, that you have revealed your Son to us and sent your Son to accomplish our redemption and that your Spirit was also sent to be that surety and that guarantee of an even more greater, blessed hope, eternal life in your glorious and holy presence. Gracious God, We praise You and thank You that You have so revealed Yourself as our rock, as our refuge, as our strong tower. No one and nothing can overcome You. And so we pray, Lord, that You would help us in our own weakness, in the weakness of the flesh, to put our trust fully and completely in You. That we would cast those anxieties at your feet. And that we would just look to you to sustain us, to provide for us, 
And that we would find that contentment and that whatever we have, whatever you have given to us is a gracious gift and that we should be satisfied with that. And that if there's more that we need, you already know it and you will provide it. Lord, may we find our contentment in you alone. In Christ Jesus, our Savior, alone. We just pray, Father, that as we go through life, that even this contentment that we can learn and can enjoy, that as we go through trials and as others see us go through trials and they'll see that we have this this peace, this contentment, and that it would be something that they would ask. Why? How, how can you be this way? How can you be so content? How can you be so satisfied and at peace at such a time? And that we would have opportunity to share the gospel with them. That they too might come to know and taste of the goodness of your salvation in Jesus Christ. Father, you have given us and entrusted us with the gospel, the good news about these things. May we be bold in sharing it with those around us that your name might truly be lifted up and glorified throughout all the earth. Father, we pray that your spirit would impress these truths upon each of our hearts, drawing us all closer to yourself, that we might truly be faithful servants for your glory in all that we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.